This is Dave Gordon, and while I'm not actually listening to the show, I'm doing the bumper for Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Good evening, everybody. It is TalkCast 156. Three years of fun here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Welcome, Jesus welcome, Christ. welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Uh <laughs> I'm just appalled to think of that many podcasts. I know. So are we, actually. We're appalled that we've gone for this long. <laughs> deep, deep in Area 51 on the sub-level 451 Book Burning and Fried Green Tomato Body Wrap Pavilion, I am the Dome. In the Revered Time Vortex, our violent soundboard vixen who is finally crawling out from under her other job and queen of a fire, a true petroleum byproduct, it's Kriana. Wait, no one told you this is our last show? <laughs> uh, well, that the works. police had indicated it ought to be, but <laughs> the band or the law enforcement agency? Either one. Both. From the stacks of her personal silent zone in the dank dungeon reading room, she's cool, she's calm, she's collected. It is Zombrarian. Oh, yeah. Totally cool and calm. <laughs> Just <laughs> like last week. <laughs> From the four color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, the man who opened up his personal water park slash comedy club slash emergency medical center in his basement. It's called Catch a Rising Scar. It's Illustrator X. Oh, oh, oh. I, sir, I am raising a glass to three years of fabulousness. Here, here. And sitting beside him is his lovely ingenue, the one who bruises him constantly during the show, his sweet undead spouse. It is the dead redhead. I'm voting myself in as CEO of the new creepy bank, spawned by our creepy jar money, which is overflowing at this point, especially after the rock and shock. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think the creepy jar is something that we actually need to seriously address here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night because there's been a lot of sexism going on in in the world of Comic Con, and I think I think you know the comments leading to the creepy jar are are contributing to it. Well, we're not stop saying them. Can we finish? <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, uh, can we finish the introductions? Uh, somewhere, somewhere uh, from Outpost Gallifrey at the Nymphomaniac Catch and Release Center in Sleepy Hollow, New York. Off the Van Wick Express play, it's the Hawkeye of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It might be Hank Pym, but it's actually just Awake by Java. <laughs> I'm actually coming to you from Crop Circle Central, Indianapolis, Indiana. Surrounded by tall buildings and still able to get a cell phone signal. That's the Midwest. We have values. <laughs> Absolutely. Or something. Our guest tonight is a friend of the show. And uh, a gentleman, a musician, a writer, a scholar, and all around bon vivant, it's Spider Robinson. Welcome to the show, sir. 
Well, thank you. Can, can someone confirm for me, is this the second or the third time I've done this? Uh, third. Third, yeah. Third time. Something like uh, the only, 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 only thing I'm sure of is that I've got Kriana as a permanent uh, contact on my Skype. <laughs> Yay. That means you're our charm, Spider. Third time's the charm, so you're our charm. There you go. Well, I just just know that I've been eavesdropping on your conversations for the last several years. Oh, dear God. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry? Yeah, and they've provided most of the material for my next novel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't kid like that. That's like our dream. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you should hold your breath. Right? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> so last weekend, most of the cast of Sci-Fi Saturday Night was at the uh, Rock and Shock in Worcester, Massachusetts. An otter situation I have never seen in my life. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about how there was an animal shelter with actual kittens there. Uh, they weren't no. adopting them out. But they had kittens. They had kittens That's true. They they were, and they were cuddly. <laughs> Live kittens at a horror con. That was a... What could go wrong? <laughs> you're wrong. Exactly. If anything does, you're at least you're in the home of Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> exactly. There there was also some um, tarantulas. And a, there and a, I, what's What's with the animal booths? I, I don't quite get that. Yeah, that was that was new. You know, I gotta say, at the Rock and Shock, the scariest thing were the fashion victims. Uh, People (laughs) know your limits when you design your costumes to walk around. That's (laughs) it. Yeah, it. uh, Tim Gunn would not. Beanies are not for everybody. All right, all right, all right. Top two rules that came out of Rock and Shock last weekend. Number one, if the costume, well, actually, it's kind of the same rule. If the costume is designed for a person 10 years or more younger than you, maybe you should think twice about wearing it. Possibly three times. Possibly three times. That advice should apply everywhere, not just in fandom. That's true. Agreed. It was was scary. It was absolutely scary. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, we got to finally meet most of the cast of Holliston. Except for our favorite Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, wait, I did I say that out loud? I mean, you're all my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am a serious Benedict Cumberbatch fan. I've, I've oh, taken trouble to put down all of his existing work that, that's available. And, and well, well, actually, all- we, we just meant Laura Ortiz, who calls herself Benedict Cumberbatch on the show, because it's, ah, it's an awesome word yeah. to say, pretty much. <laughs> well, especially that cute little squeaky voice of hers. Benedict Cumberbatch! Exactly. I'm I'm a member of a site called The Box, from which one can download TV or radio that's pretty much that's ever been broadcast in the UK. And oh, so God. Sherlock led me to Cumberbatch, and I've been hunting down the man's back work. And holy Jesus Christ, he is the next Alec Guinness, honest to God. Ooh. I, in addition to Sherlock, he did a brilliant turn on Vincent van Gogh. Uh, he also what? did a fabulous job of playing Stephen Hawking both before and after the Lou Gehrig's disease struck. He oh, seems boy. to have a compulsion to play super geniuses. Yeah, I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah, absolutely. And, yet, and we'll see him as Smaug in The Hobbit soon. Yes, in, in The Hobbit he's also starred in a, a miniseries called Parade's End, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, the man, And the thing is that every time I see him, I'm always aware that I'm watching an excellent actor 
but it never seems to be the guy I remember from that last show I saw him. You know, he at no time in any of those movies does he remotely resemble Sherlock. You know, that's good. That's and, amazing. You know, Vince. So that means nothing. he's not Johnny Depp, basically. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. Oh, I'm Willy Wonka Sparrow. Give him yeah, time. It also probably means uh, he's, he's know, never going to be as popular as he should be. I, I'd love to start a raging, raging argument sometime on, is it not true that British actors can act the ass off our actors, that they, they're just you know, better trained, better prepared, they can do any goddamn thing they got a mind to? I just saw the trailer for the movie Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopkins, who I, I, I was stunned, managed to convince me he was Richard Nixon once well in this trailer the man is alfred hitchcock it just blew my doors off you know uh, they oh, are better actors i don't know about that I, I mean i think that that's true in in cases but there i think that there are some really fantastic american actors that they certainly are no question and there are but some I, fantastically awful british actors as well right absolutely oh, yeah, true you know absolutely true. Well, now not many people know this but there's only been one actor who's ever played Doctor Who since 1963. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he goes through a name change. You know, he'll occasionally, you know, die. But, uh, you know, he, uh, that's dedication to the craft. Absolutely. Leg extensions. Yeah. <laughs> Fez hey, wait, extensions. Yeah. Oh, so anyhow, back to Rocket Shot very quickly. Uh, and, and I'm sorry to have introduced audio interference. That's the kettle. <laughs> no, but that works. Uh, I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, we met the lovely, the absolutely lovely Lisa Marie. Mm. We all got crushes on her. She's so oh my pretty. goodness, she is, and she's such a sweetheart. Well, she we sat there and talked to us ten minutes, and see then, if we can't get her on the show to uh, talk about her upcoming film, Lords of Salem, and maybe Rob Zombie. Oh, please, tell me about it. Sounds great. Yeah, what's that film about? Do we know? Uh, apparently, there are some lords. And <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fantastic, X. No, if it's anything like the comic, it was something about um, some family member of somebody from the witch trials in Salem ends up bringing someone back to take over Salem. Oh, oh, to take, okay, it's yes. like bringing them back from camp, okay. The dead. Oh. <laughs> the dead. Same thing, I guess. And then I, it was, it, Salem always sounded to me like a town, you want to take it over, you're welcome, you can have my share. <laughs> you know? Oh, actually, it's a pretty hip town. I love Salem. <laughs> it just, I don't know, never appealed to me as a vacation destination, you know? I don't think no, it ever appealed to anyone as a vacation destination. It is a great place to have lunch. Uh, <laughs> I just say, as far as the rock and shock goes, I, I think I gotta the, say, the, the I think that's the, sub, the, the subtitle for for Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem, a great place to have lunch. There you go. Yes, indeed. Getting back to the rock and shock, uh, the smooth award goes to our own the dome because we found out a secret. If you show up early enough and you just go to the hotel across the street from the convention center, guess what? Everybody that you're paying to get autographs from is right there having breakfast in the lobby. <laughs> and it's like, oh, there's Danny Trejo having a bagel. And, and, and what did I do? I walked up to Danny Trejo, stuck out my hand, and I said, Danny, it's really good to see you. And we talked for about five minutes. It was very no, nice. 
you said it was good to see you again. And he yeah, turns around and goes, oh, hey, good to see you again, man. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. The, the, the only, I don't know. I, 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 in, in the last couple of years, I've backed away from going to conventions. Uh, since Jeannie passed, I just don't feel like going to parties, you know? But the invitations keep coming in, and I sure don't want to disappoint folks. You know, somebody asks you to be the guest of honor, you want to do something. So, so far, about four or five times, I've successfully persuaded them to let me attend by Skype. Oh. And to my okay. great relief and pleasure, every time, they came out of it totally stoned. They had more fun with it than I did. They were delighted that they, they, they'd let me talk them into it. I think your tea's ready, Spider. Yes. <laughs> I can do by Skype almost everything I can do at a convention. I can do a, you know, I can do a Beatles concert. You know, I can read, read from my stuff. I can attend panels. I can tell bad jokes at the opening and closing ceremonies. The only thing I thought was going to be a hang-up was, obviously, there's no way, you know, unless you're Margaret Atwood and you have her, her remote pantograph, there's no practical way to sign autographs by Skype. But I, I came up with a workaround. It was just—it was purely that. It was to get myself out of the problem of disappointing people. But my workaround was set a laptop up on the autograph table where ordinarily I would be sitting there scribbling books, and the lineup of people that would ordinarily be there to get their books autographed take turns sitting down in front of the laptop and shooting the shit with me for five or ten. Minutes. <laughs> How cool is that? And as they're doing that some convention volunteer is reaching over and hitting the key combination that takes a screenshot and sends it to the printer. And you set wow. the Skype up to put us in split screen. So the cat not only has a pleasant conversation with me, he or she goes home with a color photo of the two of us in conversation, obviously getting along fine, smiling at each other. And that's basically what an autograph is, is proof I met this guy once and he didn't find me so repulsive that he wasn't willing to sign his name. You know, that's what that's, that's what Steve Martin used to do. He used to have a card that he would hand people that said, yes. "This certifies that I have had a personal encounter with Steve Martin," so that he so that Steve Martin could go on and finish his dinner. Exactly. And the person has proof, which is which is, is ingenious. I met Steve Martin, and he didn't find me too repulsive to give this card to. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, everybody had a great time. The convention save a fortune on my airfare and my hotel and my room service. And nobody's got to schlep me to the airport and back twice, you know. And it's just every everybody had a good time, you know. Nowadays, just about any laptop will plug into just about any wide flat screen TV of any size, no problem. They they all talk to each other, so it it turns out to be trivially simple. To, you know, wouldn't you think science fiction would be the first to come up with this, flying the guest of honor in over the internet, you know? Of course. So I'm I'm delighted that it's worked out this way, and I'm going to keep suggesting it every time somebody invites me, because you know it, it takes all the work out of it for me. You know, I mean, I I can do the whole thing in my living room if I want to. You know, I I don't need to put pants on unless I happen to feel like. <laughs> you know? And that reminds me, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's episode is pants free. <laughs> Glad you warned me. <laughs> I'm in public. It's not a bad idea. I, it's, been, it's been done. I'll say that. I won't necessarily say which convention, but it's been done. Oh, no. The only total failure I had was when I do the Beatles concerts, 
uh, folks singing along, it doesn't work. There's, there's invariably a delay lag of at least a half a second to a second, and it hopelessly buggers any attempt to sing harmony. Uh, yeah, so, but oddly enough, that would work for Strawberry Fields. <laughs> well, what, what I do, what I tried doing, and what seemed to work pretty well, was I just shut my speakers off entirely. And I just sang solo, and that's all I heard was me solo. But on their end, they heard me solo and harmonized right along with me, and there was no delay lag perceptible to them. And, and I was worried about it because I knew how the harmonies were supposed to sound, you know. <laughs> and then somebody later on sent me a tape recording of how we how we sounded together, and it was it was great. Nice, very nice. Oh my god. I, the first time I ever tried this, uh, the first time I ever skyped. It wasn't even Skype then. It was. Uh, it's whatever they call it on a Mac, iChat or something, or i, I something, whatever. Uh, I, I, I got a, there's a, I'm making this a longer story than I should, but I got a fan letter <laughs> from a guy who turned out to be David Crosby. Oh. Uh, and I freaked, naturally, because I've been a David Crosby fan since I was 16, you know? The week doesn't go by that I don't play one of his songs on my guitar. So he asked what I was doing. I said I was working. I was collaborating with Robert Heinlein on a novel. He freaked because he's the biggest Robert Heinlein fan in the world, next to me. And uh, you know, uh, his song "Triad" was inspired by Robert. Right. And so uh, he said, "Is there anything at all I can do to help you? You know, I'd be glad if there's anything I can do to put water on your wheel. You know, I'll be happy to come around and do interviews with you about the book, whatever." Funny you should mention that, David. I, uh, I I wrote these song lyrics into chapter one, and I ain't got a tune. Got you covered, he said. And uh, two weeks later, a brand new Mac Power Book came in the door with it with an outboard camera on it, because this was before they had cameras built into the sucks. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was chatting live on my new laptop with David Crosby, and we were writing a song together. Oh. oh man, nice. That this is not just a little insane. <laughs> of course, Spider, you know how that's that's kind of how we feel every time you come on the show, right? Good heavens! <laughs> yeah, you don't. What you don't realize is that five years ago, when we first decided to put this show together, we had a wish list, and you were number three on my wish list. Wow. Because numbers one and two were unable to ever do the show as they were no longer alive. They were existence challenged. Existence challenged. Go. Yeah, I was going to say Asimov would have been my number one, but that that was never going to happen. Oh, Isaac was a wonderful. He would have he would have loved it. You know, if we could, if we had a way of contacting him. He to come back just for the purpose. You know, just, just you saying that he would have loved it gave me a twinkle. Yeah, he was, just, he was just the sweetest man. He gave me he gave me a letter to help me get emigrated to Canada, uh, you know, a letter to show the government, you know, uh, the, but it was just the, oil, the standard oil. Well, I, Isaac meant well. I, Isaac, I think it'd been a long time since he's had to deal with a bureaucrat. I think he was something like six when his parents left Russia. But uh, he wrote me a letter. The first three or four paragraphs were just what I was looking for. Pure bullshit, you know. Young man, credit <laughs> profession, and a rising star, and an unlimited potential. Blah blah. Then the last paragraph begins, of course, his appearance is rather odd. His habits are somewhat eccentric, but then again, so are mine, you know, when we science fiction writers. <laughs> no worries. Just what? a little odd. Isaac, shut up. 
kindly as I knew how, and I never, I never gave the letter to the government. You know, fortunately, now that he's gone, I can say this without him kicking me in the ass the next time I see him. <laughs> hey, Spider, can we go back to that David Crosby song for a little bit? Yeah, sure. Was it ever recorded? Uh, yeah, it was recorded, and I, you can. Uh, the simplest way to hear it is to just go to my podcast. I, as we speak, I'll try and look it up and see if I can find out what number uh, it appears in. But I, I, I think I've done it a couple of times. I, you know, when you, we've written a song with David Crosby, you use it as often as you can. Oh, or, hell yeah! <laughs> another simple way to do it is go uh, to YouTube and Google up, uh, not Google up, but search for, on YouTube for uh, On the Way to the Stars. Spider and Jeannie Robinson, uh, someone videotaped us, not very well from the back row, you can barely see us, but someone videotaped us performing, Jeannie and me performing the song together at Heinlein's 100th birthday. Oh, man. Uh, in Kansas City. That's amazing. Uh, they, they brought us up on stage, and I, I told the story, you know, and, and uh, explained about meeting David, and then we sang the song together with Jeannie throwing in the harmony that David wasn't there to do. Uh, he and I have never recorded it together other than in the rough, you know, eye chat uh, videos I've got, which I, I'm, I'm hanging on to them. That ain't going on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, on YouTube is the two of us singing that together at the Heinlein Centennial on a borrowed guitar, but what the hell. Uh, I, I, you know, it came out okay. I got, God bless YouTube, man, you know. I mean, like, you know, my, my granddaughter, Marissa, you know, she's, she, she's under, she understands that her nana has died and her nana is gone. And when this was first explained to her, she just burst violently into tears and demand to be taken to nana. And finally, her parents, my daughter and son-in-law, had the brainstorm of going to YouTube. There's a video on YouTube of the last dance Jeannie ever did. And Marissa was in the room, you know. <laughs> and they showed her that dance and she calmed right down there was Nana there, there, no, nowhere anywhere and now you, you say show us Nana's dance move hon and she will drop into the last pose from the piece she knows about half the steps in the dance Just oh me. man that's wonderful I mean you know, what I would give for something like that I, I've, I've, I've told I talked with my sister about this for years I would pay just about any price for a recording of my mom's voice. I can still see her face, but I can't hear the sound of her voice. I've lost it. And all the home movies we got are super eight, no sound, you know? And there, there just weren't no cheap recording machines of any audio of any sort handy in the Bronx when I was growing up, you know? And yeah. my left without ever leaving a recording. How, how cool is it to live in the future right now? I'm just loving it. I'm just loving it, you know? You know, we're going... We, Rock and Chalk is a perfect uh, example of how freaking cool everything is because we went around and we've, we've upgraded from doing just some, sometimes recording audio interviews at cons, which, which yeah. is pretty freaking phenomenal in and of itself. But, it but we've, we've started doing video interviews just on, just on our iPhones, Spider. That'll do. That'll do. iPhone's plenty good. I, I, I know, but like, how crazy is it that this tiny little thing that fits in your pocket? Man, you know, it was, we, the Star Trek communicator, we never thought of it having video capability. That's so, right. You know? Well, you know, 
I'm glad that you can feel some awe about this, Kriana, because we, we do joke about this back and forth, but I mean, someone sent me a, an article this week that Atari had just had its 35th anniversary, <laughs> and I mean, and the, the article ended with, now keep in mind, your phone has a bazillion times more power than this thing ever did. Oh my god, uh, at least a yeah. bazillion. Uh, my phone is more... My my iPad, first of all, is less powerful than my phone right now. And my iPad is more powerful than, you know, anything that anyone could have conceived of when I was born. Probably till the time I was... Well, probably till, like, an embarrassingly short ago. time ago. Yeah. Seriously. They went, they went to the I was, 64K. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm at a I'm at a teachers convention right now in Indianapolis, and today I saw a picture of an ENIAC computer. It had a oh my god! It had a freaking captain's wheel on it, like a ship. <laughs> I don't know what it was for, but there was a wheel on. it. I think it must be for the paper, right? No, no, no. Because an ENIAC was the size of a battleship. You had to steer it somehow. <laughs> did, did that one have the punch cards? Like. It's, I still oh, want. No, no, that was that was the upgrade, sweetie. Oh, this was, oh got it. This was be This, but I, I want a captain's wheel on my computer. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I can't tell you how many years in a row I had people leaning on me heavily. Spider, come use my computer. You've got to write your science fiction on a computer. Come use my PDP eight or my, you know, whatever the hell. These monster ANIACs that you know stuff that's that that size, and I would come and I would try it and a week later I'm still trying to figure out how to get it back out of italics you know yeah <laughs> you know spider one of the coolest things you ever did with a computer was when you put a sentient computer into Callahan's Crosstime Saloon uh, my favorite yes. part of that was when it when it went down and nobody noticed so are you really a time traveler and that was based on Siri uh, wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be uh, nice because I'm in love with Siri <laughs> Sorry, honey. I hear you. It's I hear okay. You. I have trouble not thanking Siri whenever she gives me directions. She's like, <laughs> turn right in 500 feet. And I'm like, thanks, Siri. And then I realize she can't hear me. <laughs> well, actually, she can if if you press the button. And, and she actually today I, I said, Siri, set an alarm for 5 p.m. She okay, your alarm's set for 5 p.m. And I hit the button again. And I said, thank you, Siri. And she said, your wish is my command. <laughs> I, I love Siri. Come on, that's awesome. She has such a great personality. Today, today I asked uh, because one of the new things that it can do, it can give you sports scores. So I asked, you know, how, I was showing a friend of mine, and and I said, how did the Twins do this year? And then they said, oh, look at that. The twins are at the bottom of the American League. Better luck next year. <laughs> <laughs> and it's satirical now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and she really likes Blade Runner. Nice. What? Yeah, yeah. If you ask her what Blade Runner's about, she has a whole thing, and she she identifies with them. Anytime she refers to like a robot in popular culture, she refers to them as an assistant because that's what she is. It's really <laughs> they put a lot of thought into how she works and how she she thinks, and it's it's really fun. You know, did you ever think that we would get to the point where, you know, a Turing test would actually, you know, that a computer could actually push a Turing test to the point where you wouldn't know 
whether you were actually talking to a mechanical brain. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Actually, I remember reading an article a couple weeks ago, Java, maybe you, you might have read this too, it might be up your alley, where they were scoring computers, like computer simulations, like um, MMORPG bots for humanity scores. And so they had humans as a control group, and they had their different versions of their bot, and the bots actually outhumaned the humans. Wow. Uh, oh, well, you know, I think I, that that's more Nexus about... Nexus 6, more human than human. <laughs> yeah, it does, so, but it, I, it was a cute I think that that says more about our tendency to alter our own selves to match what we use in daily life than it does that matching us. Does that make sense? Also, their scaling was, like, pretty flawed, but, like, it's still it's still funny that they had this, like, whole human test and that the, the computers out-humaned the people. I think that I think that we are at this at the point where we are more likely to be trained by a computer than a computer is going to be trained by us. That's possible. Which is scary a little bit. I, I'm waiting for the day when um, Siri, when I'm like Siri, make me a sandwich. She's like, white or wheat? <laughs> okay, let, you're a let sandwich. me 3D print your sandwich. Here you go. There's one exception to all this that I'm happy to say exists, and so far, no website from Amazon on down has ever successfully guessed what I like. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that just means the apocalypse isn't here yet. You know, people have bought this, also bought, and then they'll they'll name some horrible piece of shit I wouldn't be caught dead with. I'm very glad. I'm very glad they aren't. They're lousy at guessing my tastes. I don't want them uh, racing to appease me. I don't want them planning how to seduce me. You know, I I don't want the suckers to know any more than I just ordered this. Here is my money. Send it to me and go away. I don't <laughs> want. What's this thing you're sending me? Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Mm. Why would I want to listen to that? Oh, that's crap. Yeah, there's a great joy in not being herded towards something, but finding it on your own. Well, yeah, that exactly. being said, yeah. recommendation engines like Goodreads have pointed me to so much awesomeness that I would not have seen otherwise. Yes, and I've taken recommendations from guys I just met in a bar that I wouldn't take from a computer, you know? <laughs> I mean, guys on whom I have no basis of trusting them, but they really seemed excited. It had made a difference in their lives. That gives me a shot thinking it might make a difference in my life. I don't care what, you know, relays in a computer came to the conclusion that this would make a difference in my life because it's not thinking. And no, it's just a series of algorithms that have made a decision based on mathematics. And what do you think thinking is? Right. Based on what it thinks will most rapidly empty my pants pockets. <laughs> Well, right. it, actually, All though, right. in the case of Goodreads, it's not. I mean, they're not making any money off of their recommendations, except for That's like true. possibly, That's true. maybe with affiliate links, but it can't be that high. Because I personally have never bought anything through a link on that site. Um, but but Goodreads is also a Web 2.0 thing, and most of it, most of its content is generated by its users. Well, most recommendation engines are kind of Web 2.0, and let, let's just agree on the fact that Web 2.0 is a useless buzzword. It doesn't really mean anything. Well, yes, but it's the quickest buzz. But it's the quickest buzzword to use. Yeah, after a while, you give up and you just start calling everything awesome because it's it's awesome. <laughs> 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 there we go. Damn flow. 
It may be a flow of sewage, but you got to go with the flow. I mean, I think they've built a really nice community, and I think they've done that by um, really engaging authors with their readers. And I think that is why, and that one in particular comes to mind, is having excellent recommendations. Not everything, not everything by a long shot, but there there are some good ones that, you know, sometimes I pick up a book and I'm like, why why am I reading this crap? No, throw it out. Not not wasting the time of my life to read this book. But, um, you know, occasionally you, you get this really awesome gem of a book and, you you know, it's something you never would have picked up otherwise. Well, have we reached the point yet where we're, we're converging toward consensus on who are the essential science fiction reviewers online? You know, like have the Siskel and well, Ebert of science fiction emerged? Well, yet? I, I think that well, would be You're talking us. to them. Yeah, yes, clearly. That's us. Clearly. There you go. I've been waiting for you guys. I've been saying all along, that's all that's needed to straighten this out and get everybody healthy again and get it work is is reliable reviews reviews that don't come from a from an algorithm that don't come from somebody you know with his hand in your pocket and right. once we got that we can find the good shit we can ignore the other crap and we can therefore afford to shower so much money on the good shit that we'll get it'll it'll just it'll be like the borlog inventing a new kind of wheat you know it'll just it'll be a game <laughs> hey spider yeah. Can we talk about Terry for a couple of minutes? Yes, by all means, let's. She's not here right now. I would have asked her to sit in, but she is this evening in New York City uh, having converse with her surgeons, and we'll be back tomorrow sometime. But she did ask me to mention that if you go to her podcast, to her uh, blog site, which is www.gracefulwomanwarrior.com. And she, we'll have that link on the website. Excellent. She just she, she just installed on the site a, a little PayPal button to make it more convenient to send donations. It took her a while to get that shit together. For a while, donations for her were being handled by her aunts in Massachusetts, but uh, they, 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 they all got kids of their own and nobody nobody got it together. And we, uh, for a while now it's been, if you want to send a donation, just send a check to you know, Aunt Lori in Massachusetts. And that, that that's not going to make it in today's world. For those of you who don't know who Terry is, Terry is Spider's daughter. Uh, Terry is dealing right now with the effects of stage four breast cancer. And her blog, Graceful Woman Warrior, is, uh, I honestly don't know how to describe it, aside from probably one of the most noble things I've ever read. Uh, She is something. As a husband of a woman who went through, to some degree, what what Terry is going through, uh, wow, she just writes about the realities in such a way, and her nobility through it all is uh, scarily interesting and wonderful to read. I learned from her, man. I, the, I, the first time I ever came to visit Terry here in Ohio, uh, with her new home here with her husband, her own, was last year uh, in November. And uh, it was like on the order of a year since we had helped her, her mom die together. And uh, so I really wanted to come see their new home. And, you know, they, they, they'd helped put me back together again after Jeannie passed. You know, it had been a long, hard time for that family you know, with with grief they didn't need. And here they were, just moved into their brand new home, and I couldn't wait to come see it. And the day that I arrived, I, I, I arrived late at night, and I woke up the next morning, and Terry was lying on my on my stomach, crying on my chest, 
she had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. At that time, it's stage two. Uh, they very shortly upgraded that to stage four, uh, but that, which basically means it's metastasized all over, just, you know, make your peace. Uh, now, now everyone is completely and totally fundamentally confused. Can I say mindfucked? Uh, yeah, you absolutely can. That's about the only word that really speaks to it. Uh, what happened, uh, they, they, she stage four, she had metastases here, she had metastases there. She had some in her leg, she had some in her ribs. All the lymph nodes were shot through. It was, it was forget. Then they gave her her first round of chemo, and then they gave her scans to find out, well, did that have any effect at all? All of the metastases, every single one of them had disappeared. So they went Woo! back. They, Sorry. Wow. They took some more scans, same result came back. Nothing left except the original two tumors in the breast. Now, this is unheard of. Just you know, one round of chemo won't do you know, it. play that way. But they asked her, you know, did she have any suggestions on how this could possibly have happened? She said, well, I totally changed my diet and went vegan. And I did a lot of meditation. And I did a lot of positive visualization. And they... they Th thanked her very much and patted her on the head and went back to staring at the scans and muttering under their breath. They, they right. nothing. Now, you know, the, the left hand giveth while the right hand taketh away because all the metastases disappeared, which is a friggin' miracle. It means there's a very excellent chance she will, you know, live to see her own daughter bear her children. Uh, at the same time, that oh, meant. Thank God. It was, uh, I, I, I exhale for the first time in like, you know, two and a half, three years now, you know? Yeah, but, absolutely. But then, of course, the, the, the downside is that means all of a sudden a mastectomy makes sense after all. I right. mean, if, you know, if it's metastasized all through your body, what's the point of a mastectomy? When, when it's just down to two tumors in the breast, get them the hell out of there, and this can only be a thing. So she had a mastectomy uh, several weeks ago in New York and is still working through the complications and follow-ups of that. And well, I know we speak, I speak for everyone here when I wish her a speedy recovery. Yes. She's already I'm amazed, actually, by the recovery that I read about every week when she posts a new... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe. I mean, I, I came expecting to you know, be dealing with a semi-invalid because I've had some surgery myself and I know what it can do to a person. Didn't do it to her. You know, she just didn't bother her much at all. I, I think it was maybe two, three days after she got home, she stopped taking pain medication, you know, because she didn't need it. You know, she, she can't lift up her child yet. That bothers her and, and bothers Marissa, too. You know, pick up her daughter, but it's coming. And she's right now dealing with uh, the after effects of pulmonary embolism. Yeah, yeah, a little blood clot form. So now they've got her on something that thins her blood, which means every time she gets a paper cut, she's got to, you know, treat it, treat it like a four-alarm fire. It's just crazy. The, 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 you know, the, the, the state of medicine today is, is, is nothing to be real proud of. You know, granted, we're, we're living a lot longer than our ancestors ever did, but we really don't know shit, you know? <laughs> well, you know, okay, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not true. That's not true at all. It's just, you know, for every mystery that we solve, we find 18 more of them. It's like, yeah. you know, there there are known unknowns and then there are unknown unknowns. And, like, we have discovered so much shit that we didn't know we didn't know 
that it True. seems like we're not getting anywhere, even when, you know, we've, we've come a really long way. And it, it's especially hard for doctors, I think, because, you know, I, I think it's the goal, I hope it's the goal of every doctor to, to um, treat their patients as, as best they can based on the evidence that's available to them. But uh, on the other hand, they're really... Um, most of their information and, and you know and most of, most of their incentive most of the sugar in their profession it be coming from big pharma you well know? Uh, you know there there is that and that's certainly some of the case but even a doctor with the best of intentions there's a publication bias that's going on right now that's really yeah. hampering the effect like even of the very conscientious doctor you know doesn't take anything from pharmaceutical companies does very careful research the publication bias you know they think they're doing the right thing and they are based on the information available to them but you know for every 10 positive studies there are 30 negative studies that never get published yeah yeah and, uh, yeah. and, and it's really withholding a lot of information and and sort of not not helping the general atmosphere here yeah, I, I just recently got it through my head that under American law, if you're a pharmaceutical corporation and you conduct 30 experiments on a new drug you've developed and 29 of them say this is a horrible drug, certain to be lethal or, or cause people to be deformed, and the 30th study says it's great and it solves the problem, you are on, under absolutely no obligation to ever let a living soul see any of those 29 studies. You can burn them and release the one that says it's great. You're under no obligation to tell the truth at any time. Even if you know you're selling poison, uh, you're, not, you're not required to say so. And I, because there's no like, obligation I, for your conscience. Well, yeah, you know, conscience. And we, we, we all seem to have agreed in the modern business world that conscience is a laughable, a, a joke quantity. It's, you know, it, it's, it's something we all pretend to have and we laugh about behind our, behind our hands. In politics and in business and on God help us in our entertainment too, you know, this has become the most cynical age I've ever lived through and I thought I'd seen some real cynical ages, man. I came through Oh, the Spider, you and I lived through the 60s and the 60s yeah. was as cynical as it ever got. Well, really? Been, oh it, my goodness, it, yes. I'm cynical about that. <laughs> oh! oh. I, she went there. I did go there. I think I could be more cynical than I am right now. Not, you know, a lot, but some. <laughs> you know, have, having lived through, you know, primary research firsthand, it's, it's a horrible environment, and it's not conducive to actually learning anything, because this is, this is why, let me tell you this, this is why you have so many retractions. I don't know if you've noticed, but lately there's been, like, over the past few years, the rate of retractions has just skyrocketed. And basic research. You mean take back what they take back the study? Yeah, and and a lot of times it's because of misconduct, and you know there's literally no excuse for that. But for people who I don't know really rely on science as their as their you know career as you know to live, you know if they lose their job, they lose their tenure, um, they are out on the street. There's tremendous amounts of pressure to produce positive results and negative results like if you do a study and it has negative results like you're, you're gonna get like a reduced chance to get further funding you got negative Absolutely. results and that should not be the case at all 
And there's there's just so much pressure to produce any sort of positive result, discover anything in the desperate bid to get increasingly slashed funding. Funding, yeah. Um, that it, it's really not conducive to accuracy. It's conducive to people panicking and yeah. and feeling like they have to fabricate stuff to live. I mean, some people just do it because they're jerks. But I, I think that there are normal good people who are under so much pressure that they, they yeah. feel like that's their only option. And I think that's just so wrong. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the, the, the swine know, know exactly where to go and who to lean on just how hard and how to do it, you know? Was ever thus, I suppose. Absolutely, and it's it's all politics. It's all politics. They know one word in this person's ear, and this person never gets funding again, or this person loses access to all these resources, and it shouldn't be that way. Science should be open and awesome, and you should be able to share data with your colleague that you haven't published with without fear that since their lab is better funded than yours that they can you know carry out the experiments faster and basically scoop you on any sort of discovery excuse me i had a little distraction here the the the, uh, the other skype phone is ringing uh it's it's Heron's dad calling from rio de janeiro and i can't i can't answer the call because i have no portuguese and he has no english well that's, oh, that's, not, that's not strictly true i can say bom dia and boa noite and obrigado and uh, he can say John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, he, really? what what so he's met you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We got along great. We, we, we spent a, a week together in a very tiny apartment that my son, my daughter and son-in-law had in the Bronx at the time that Marissa was born. His parents came up from, from Brazil and Jeannie and me came down from Canada and all of us foregathered in this rather small apartment and you know, only half of us had a language in common at any given time, and it didn't make the slightest bit of difference. We got along just great. I thought they were wonderful folks. Whenever conversation ran short, I would pull out a guitar and play a be- play a Beatles song, and then and her own senior was was ecstatic. <laughs> we took him to the Dakota. He cried. You know. Uh, he- uh, well, yeah, I think anybody who knows and walks past the Dakota feels a tug at the heart. Well, he showed me his wedding photo. On his, his wedding photo, he looked like John Lennon. He had, a, he had a John Lennon haircut. Wow. That's how much of a fan he was. Then we took him across the street, you know, to Central Park, to Strawberry Fields, where 24-7, I believe, there's, there's guys there with acoustic guitars singing Beatles songs. And he had the time of his life singing harmonies, you know? Aww. Oh, it was just great. It's just great, you know. The the, the, the I, I can't think of this. I suppose maybe if I went to Liverpool, you know, and got shown around some of the real places that you know, not the not, not the crapped up stuff that's left, uh, you know, I might feel a similar feeling. But New York, I you know, I, I I've been past the Dakota a lot of times. I still think of it. My mind is where Rosemary's Baby was shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, a creepy little place. Yeah. My agents. Uh, digs are only a few blocks away. Isn't that where six 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 Park Avenue is being shot? Oh Lord! <laughs> Isn't that the Dakota? Oh, I don't think so. Or the Ghostbusters building, or whatever that building is. <laughs> Who you get a call? Uh. Oh, speaking of actually, Ghostbusters, you know didn't didn't some news just come out that that Bill Murray is definitely not doing Ghostbusters now? 
Yeah. yeah. Lame. Yeah, he's been saying that for the last three years, and it's once again a news item. <laughs> no, he, he was going to do it for a while, and then, no. No, he was only going to do it if they could kill him in the first five minutes. He could be a ghost for the rest of the movie. And they were never able to do a, uh, a treatment of his script that he would approve. Aw, guys, try harder. Put on your try harder hats. Come on. This is something well, we all need to see. Uh, it was just you know a- what? Going today that they are going ahead without him, but it, the the movie's done. The movie's gone. It's, it's been greenlit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whatever. This is happening. <laughs> this is happening. I don't know. I don't know what kind of a movie it is without Bill Murray there, though. Well, exactly. But- Similarly, I I don't know uh, what I'm going to end up thinking of. Someone's finally making a movie about Parker, about uh, Richard Stark's character Parker, and they're even calling him Parker for the first time in history. Uh, but I've seen the plot synopsis, and it, it's got nothing to do with Parker. Oh, there you go. This is a, you know, a, a, a thief with an unusual set of professional ethics. Parker hasn't got an ethic in his friggin' body. You know? <laughs> uh, similarly, I don't know if any of you folks are, are Jack Reacher fans. I, uh, by Lee Child's books about Jack Reacher, I'm, a, I'm just addicted to. I, it's, a, it's a guilty pleasure, I admit, but I've sucked up every one of them. I had a great time every time. And there's about to be a Jack Reacher movie in which Jack Reacher, who is something like six foot five and weighs something like, oh, you know, neighborhood of 250 pounds and has never in his life been in a fight where he had the slightest doubt that he was going to win, uh, he's being played by Tom Cruise. Oh. oh. Well, it would have only been worse if it had been you. Danny DeVito, but yeah. Five, 165, you know. You know, again, it's like. The, one of the best reviews I ever read was for the Hunger Games movie. These people don't look very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to just back up a minute. You said that you've never lived in a more cynical age. I, I, want, I have to disagree with you because Good. when you first came on, Spider, we... Uh, took up a collection at, at one of the Boston Comic Cons, and we got a couple of jam pieces of artwork from all the artists involved. Uh, Jimmy, who runs the Boston Comic Con, gave his blessing immediately, so we could raise some money for Jeannie. And I don't know if you remember, you know, we sent you copies of the artwork, and Jan yes. Schroeder immediately jumped in to help us auction it off. And I've always said that was our finest hour. And again. Absolutely. Setting up tonight's episode, once again, I was like, talk God, about you know, Terry. I'd like to do something with Terry. Bang, you, you answered me right back. I'm in, you know, and Jan Schroeder, once again, is setting up uh, eBay auctions. Yes, uh, And I do want to mention that uh, we're going to have them posted on our website, but uh, Jan Schroeder is uh, giving out an email address where you can give you can donate items to be auctioned off to help Terry. And uh, that email address is gwwbenefit at aol.com. I mean, you have extra silverware lying around. <laughs> you got that shirt. It's like, okay. With Frankie that first says, edition relax, Harlan Ellison book, you know? Wrong. Jen also sent me one of those tiny URLs so it's not too long to read out over the air. Uh, but if anybody's interested in the stuff that she happens to have up for auction right now, which she describes as a nice eclectic batch of items, uh, you just go to http uh, colon slash slash tinyurl.com slash 
6QAZK2K. And we'll have that posted on the website too. And that's going to sit there for a couple of months. So if you're <laughs> ever looking for the auctions, you can go right to our website, click right to them. Jan is one of the people that keeps me from turning cynical. Uh, she, she, she's just been, I, I, I can't tell you how much energy she has poured into my family in the last, uh, last three years or so and, and how much good it's done. She's absolutely tireless and, and she's, she blew me away with her dedication towards you and your family and, and what Jeannie was just on. instantly bonded with her. We met, you know, we met at a convention. You, know, you meet a lot of people at conventions, but Jeannie just instantly felt a soul connection and zap, you know, you, you could see the, the, the tractor beams lock. <laughs> <laughs> happens sometimes you know well, I gotta say also Spider you your books have gotten me through some hard times I've suffered from some serious depression and your books always cheer me right up well thank you man that's what I'm in this game for that's what I'm trying to do is, is repay what I got back from guys who made me in the, even in the worst of the 60s feel like there was really going to be a fantastic future ahead yeah, got that right. Oh, actually, you know what? That reminds well, me. You can ask that question now. I got. I got to, Spider. I got to ask you. <laughs> what were you thinking when you wrote the book Mind Killer? That creeped me the hell out. <laughs> I I had just finished a collection of Algernon Blackwood stories, and those had scared the hell out of me. But your book disturbed me. It was an what? almost conscious choice. I, I, what it was, that was my first deliberate attempt at what we, in those days we called breaking out of the ghetto, trying to break out of science fiction into the mainstream where it was alleged there were big dollars waiting to be made, <laughs> literary no. fame and fortune. And I, I sold that book to a publisher that ordinarily never touched science fiction, but they happened to have one freak editor who had a sneak fondness for it. And once every couple of years, they'd indulge him and let him take a little flyer. And I, you know, I knew there was if I was going to sell a science fiction novel to a mainstream publisher at all, there was no way it could be a cheerful, optimistic one about a happy future because they'd just throw up. You know, <laughs> it's going to have to scare the yeah. shit out of them. You know, they, 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 they would want to hear about a future that would make their blood run cold. And I managed to find a way to put a happy ending on that sucker. Well, congratulations <laughs> yeah, on successfully making X's blood run cold. Nice job. <laughs> it it's up funny because we were uh, driving to the, the uh, Rock and Shock last weekend and uh, I'm in the back seat, X is in the front seat and he turns around and he goes what the fuck was Spider thinking when he wrote that? <laughs> yeah. Literally. And I said, you know what? I don't read have a clue. That's, that's a really good mm -hmm. question to ask. <laughs> you know, read the two sequels, Time Pressure and uh, and uh, what else is the third one called? Da, 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 da. Yeah, what is that book you and spent all those months on? <laughs> Lifehouse, time, time pressure, and Lifehouse. They they recently got reissued as a trilogy in in one mighty volume called the Lifehouse trilogy. I and will. You'll see where you know where the, the, what what may seem horrifying and grim and doomed in the first uh, by by the end of it, it all worked out. We'll we'll, we'll get know, it together. You know. And I don't want to insinuate that it's a bad book. I mean, I think it's an excellent book. I mean, you grip me from start to finish there. It just, it was such a different, I was expecting another Callahan's book, and I'm like, I will enjoy this. Oh my God, I'm going to leave the lights <laughs> on. I got ya. 
Go <laughs> another pot of coffee. I'm not sleeping tonight. Kept you me up. Got to the yeah, kept you up. <laughs> oh my! Squeeze you should have heard the reaction. Oh, but you know what? You know, and then there's a flip side to this. Uh, about a month or two ago, Dead Redhead and I were interviewed for uh, a local TV station, and uh, when we were meeting with the station manager, they're asking about Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And we're like, oh, we've interviewed all these people, blah, blah, blah. And we've interviewed Spider Robinson. And the owner of the station, she was like, oh, I named my daughter after the lead character in Stardance. Wow. But she was so taken with the concept of this person uh, in Zero Gravity. It, she just was like, you've, you've talked to him? And I was like, uh, actually, yeah, and he's a very nice person. <laughs> That, that all all three of those books were genie, man. I was there as a typist, you know. Honest to God, she would tell me what the story was, and then I just put it in sentences and put them down on paper. But the the, the heart, the story, the, the the ideas, every step the way was genie. Hey, well, Spider, he lives. Had either of you at that point when Stardance was being written uh, been influenced by uh, Heinlein's Waldo? Let's see. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah, right from the beginning. He was in my mind when I sat down to write the original novella, which is as far as I thought it was going. Uh, how, how it all started. The only purpose of Stardance originally was to get our asses home from the United States. We'd come down oh. from Canada to show off our brand new baby, and we ran out of money. Oh, and, my gosh. And we had to get back home before the, the cabin froze solid. And uh, the only way I know how to get money fast was to write something fast. And they say when you're when you're in a hurry, write about what you know. And I thought, what the hell do I know? Oh well, I know a dancer. You know, I suppose I did I stole something from Waldo. You know, write about a dancer in space, and then I could I could tap my wife for terminology and nomenclature, and, you know, and dance lore and all that stuff. So I, I I set out to write a little story, intending to write one super fast, so we could get a quick check and get home, and. She next thing I knew, Jeannie was sitting next to me and telling me what was wrong with my main character and how the plot needed to change. <laughs> Fortunately to God, I had sense enough to thank her and give her a byline instead of arguing. And then when we got done, uh, are you still there? Yep. Oh, okay, I, so, something just went spurt that I that I thought meant we have lost your Skype connection. No, nope, we're still here. Anyway, we got done with the thing. We raced it into analog, and Ben Boba took one look at it and said, "You know, I can't possibly run anything that long. You know, you got to take it back and cut it at least in half." And we we ran home that night. We looked at it. We couldn't find any way to cut a word. You know, so we came back to see Ben the next day. I said, "Ben, there's we we can't cut any." We said, "No, that's all right. I'm I'm, I'm reading it, and I'm really liking it. So so what I'm going to do? I'm going to run it in two parts. So go home tonight and find me a place to break it in the middle." <laughs> Went that night and for the Jesus Christ, there was just no friggin' way to break that up. <laughs> Eighty or seventy-five, twenty-five, but there was no midpoint. We came back in the next day. He said, "No, no, no, don't worry about it. Forget about breaking it. I finished the damn thing. I'm going to run it all in one chunk. It'll be the longest story ever ran in analog, and it's going to win the Hugo and Nebula." <laughs> and we, oddly enough, we said, "But can we have the check really quickly, please?" Was <laughs> <laughs> important enough to get us home. And and everything Ben said came to pass as 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 he had prophesied. The man had that ability. He could be, you know, like Babe Ruth pointing the center field fence. You know, yep. Ben always knew when he was going to publish a Hugo winning story. I don't know how he knew. I had a similar feeling. Uh, years back, I taught a Clarion workshop, and one of my students was Ted Chang, 
and I, I, I read like two of Ted's stories and then I, I called him up on the campus phone and told him to start clearing away a space uh, you know, in, on, a, on his mantelpiece in the living room uh, for you know, large enough to uh, hold like three or four Hugos and a, and a couple, couple of nebulas. And he thought I was out of my mind until he, one of the stories I had just read won the nebula. There you go. Sometimes you can just tell, you know. Sometimes you could just tell. I taught another writing workshop in Saskatchewan a few weeks back, and uh, uh, several of the students there, I think, are going to be, you know, coming stars one day. I, if I start giving names, however, the ones who I don't name will get very pissed off. So. Uh, that's true. You can, you can tell us tell us once we're off the air. We won't say anything. Well, one of them has already sold. Uh, she she had her first sale like like a week or two ago. It was the most. Well, Thing, you right know, if, if they want some uh, exposure, yeah. send them over. Yeah, to us. totally. We will. We would. Will do. Will do. While I was there, I, I saw something that interested me. Uh, well, uh, you're out in the middle of Saskatchewan. You'll see a lot of stuff that interests you. And one night there was a, a, what they call a sheet lightning storm, oh, where like cool. you know, boom, 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 like that, go like like for ten minutes. <laughs> cool. So, of course, everybody gathers by the windows. This all took place in a Franciscan monastery. So there were a lot of places with big windows and lots of you know, long views of the prairie. So we're all watching the lightning storms, and we're all having a great time and laughing and giggling. And then we see one big bolt come down about 5, 10 miles away and hit a tower, and the tower explodes like something out of, myth, out of, myth, out of Mythbusters, you know? Kaboom! I mean, flames shooting up hundreds of feet in the air, sparks flying in all directions, and the internet totally went down and stayed down for three days. And I swear to God, man, I, I, it was like being in a lifeboat with a bunch of junkies. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there was people were jonesing. For, it was interesting. What's what? They all had different things they jonesed for. Some were jonesing for their Facebook. Some were jonesing for their email. You know, some of them were just jonesing for Google, for being able to get the answer to any vagrant question that passes <laughs> instantly right now, you know. And there were three folks in the whole place that had iPhones. And they didn't need no fucking Wi-Fi. So they suddenly became the three most popular people in the place. People, like, swarmed them, you know. <laughs> and those, those, those iPhones were in permanent use for the whole three days. It was very interesting to see, you know, the, the, the extent to which we have allowed ourselves. You could also make a clear distinction. The, the instructors almost invariably didn't much give a shit. They had plenty of books with them to read. They had lots of music to listen to they'd brought. And uh, no big deal if they didn't get their email. But the older you were, the less you cared. The younger you were, the more passionately and desperately you cared. Because uh, this was in a place so remote, you couldn't even go to town and get and get the internet. There was nothing there. There was no laundromat in the town. There, wow. you know, Franciscans don't 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 go for that. So there was no way to wash any of your clothing except in the sink. It was a very bizarre experience. But I I I I'd never seen any people so seriously deranged by the the loss of their internet for three days. I mean, I'm still thinking about you know. Wow. What would we do if it ever went down? Well, it's a really yeah, crappy TV show about that right now. <laughs> yeah, really. It's that wonderful J.J. Abrams show, Revolution, in which when the electricity goes out, evidently there's no steam power anymore either. For, 
Or uh, ratings, apparently. (laughs) And and yet, for having no electricity, everybody's marvelously well-groomed. Yeah. (laughs) Clean teeth and... (laughs) Clean clothes, clean teeth. Ample supplies of toilet paper. (laughs) God. The author's convenience counts for a lot. Yeah. You know, oh. Spider, the worst the worst problem I have every time you're on is that uh, I could just do this for hours. I I, <laughs> I, I would love to Are we not better. doing this for hours? Yeah, I guess yeah. we are. Why do we have to stop? Well, we're not stopping. All right, I mean, then. We'll stop when, when Spider goes, you know what, I've had enough. and uh, <laughs> Not liable to happen, at least not for a while to come. And poor Miss M is, is crying in the back room, and I've got to go take care of her. And at that point, we'll have to say goodbye. But, I mean, there's just... Uh, I, was that a point. question? No, it wasn't. Shut up. I'm the worst interviewer. <laughs> I am the worst interviewer in the world because I get tongue-tied around people with whom I have had utmost respect for Tell almost my entire life. And you're one of them. Tell me about it. I'm the same way. Oh. I'm the same way. Put me in the room with, with you know, David Crosby. Cros introduced me to Lee Sklar. Uh, Cat played bass for James Taylor and, yep. and everybody else in the world. And I just fumfy. Hama, 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 hama. <laughs> Lee was great, though. Lee put me instantly at my ease. Uh, upon being introduced to him, uh, he asked me to give him the finger. <laughs> I, said, I said, I beg your pardon? He said, yeah, uh, would you give me the bird, please? I said, you mean what Canadians call the Trudeau salute? He said, yes, please. Said, All right. So I, I, I give him the finger, and he whipped out his cell phone, took a picture of it. He said, thanks. You're in my screensaver now. <laughs> we, we had a similar thing going on where we went around Boston Comic Con and asked people to say that Sci-Fi Saturday Night was tits. <laughs> oh, that's something to preserve for the for the ages. We, oh, we've got it on video. We still haven't edited it's, them all together yet, Java. Yeah, and I have a feeling that someday an incredible uh, series of DVDs is going to come out of all of this. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt. Spider, Spider, I want to send you my YouTube account so that you can see Dome being interviewed by two Kiss impersonators. Oh, it is yeah. the most that amusing two point minutes point. that you will ever have. It's perhaps one of the most humiliating interviews of my life. <laughs> oh, don't speak too soon. You never know. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'm not dead yet, said Eric Idle. Yeah, you know, never say that was the worst I ever bombed. It's <laughs> <laughs> just asking for it, you know. Somebody up there is listening, and he thinks he's got a funny sense of humor. Or she. What the hell was that song? I never did come up with a tune for it. God has a sense of humor, but it's often rather crude. What he thinks is a howler you or I would say is rude. Cursing him is not a real productive attitude. Just laugh. You may as well, my friend, because either way you're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds so so hard to do, to laugh when the joke's on you. You know, you can see the problem. The song seems to clearly demand some sort of country and western tune, and I'm, you know, I don't know. I've, I've come uncomfortably close to country and western in my in my existence. <laughs> well, 
You need some spurs, a hat, and as much uh, low-grade beer as you can possibly <laughs> stomach. Yeah, yeah, I'll do country and western. Yeah. There, there you go. I don't know. I, there was a Bob Dylan song I've, whose title I've forgotten containing the line, the country music station plays soft, but there's nothing, really nothing to turn off. You know, I, you know, all too often that's true. The good, the good stuff in that in that field is the some of the best there is. The, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, it, it's Johnny it's, Cash. It's jazz from the hills. You know. Well, it's, wait it's, now, Johnny Cash. I've been told a million times that doesn't count. I have, I I have uh, Johnny Cash yeah. live at Folsom Prison, and I've told people it's like, yeah, I have a country album. Oh yeah, what do you have? I'm like, oh Johnny Cash. Like Johnny Cash is not country. Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash. Well, he true. transcends. <laughs> so you know, I get this from like my parents, pastors. Nice of people don't really recognize Nashville skyline as country either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same guy we were talking about just a moment ago, putting yep. country music down, has clearly held differing opinions at their various times in his life. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? You, you, you know, you, you've had, you've heard the country music station playing in the background. It just seems like. The 870,000th variation on something that was done by one of the yep. great, you know, 80 years ago. And it just ain't moved nowhere, you know? Do, do you know, Spider, this is kind of a morbid fact, but do you know they actually put research in to show that areas that have more country stations have higher suicide rates? <laughs> it's entirely true. Man, you, you think listening to the music, it'd be like playing, you know, like listening to the blues. You you get out the emotions, right? A little bit of a little bit of catharsis. Apparently not. Okay. I think they just can't listen to the music anymore. <laughs> oh, dead, dead redhead's gonna hit me for this, but it's worth Probably. it. We got we went to go see the movie Walk the Line in the theater, and I was shocked. You stop right now. I was shocked uh -oh, because uh -oh. he sang along with every single song in that, that was film. That Johnny Cash. <laughs> every song, and this is a woman who's like, "Oh, you got to listen to all this punk, The Descendants, and and Henry Rollins, and you got to see movies like Repo Man," and you were like. Because you're mine. <laughs> I walk the lines. I, I hate it's part of the too. reason I hate country so much is because I grew I had to listen to it. I had no choice. I had this, to listen. This is a woman who listens to music by uh, a philosophy major named Voltaire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I understand what you're you know, put, have your parents put you through. I remember my parents every Sunday were like, we're going to watch the Lawrence Welk show. I'm like, oh, no, shoot me now. The bubbles, please let there be good music somewhere. I don't and know. I, st I stole Miss Crazy Guggenheim from the Jackie Gleason. Oh, my God. There's Mr. Donahue. Mr. Donahue. And then he would yeah. say about this baritone and blow you. <laughs> I got him permanently on my Amazon wish list. You know, there are still a few records of his that exist, but they cost a fortune. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used, that was that was one of the shows that I could sit down and watch with my family, and there was something in it that everybody laughed their ass off. You know, Jackie Gleason show. He had some pretty that, cerebral comedy for those days. It's not good. I could actually bond with my dad over that, and that takes a lot. So. <laughs> Yeah, You're absolutely right there. Did it. You know, Bob Hope back in the days when Bob Hope was good? 
Sure, and Ernie Kovacs oh, at the same that time. Was part time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that there was there was some incredible television happening right then. Yeah, yeah. Laugh-In, the Smothers Brothers, the Glen Campbell. No, 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 no. That's that's already twenty-five years after that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Since right, okay time. to to all of our listeners <laughs> who are below the age of forty. <laughs> Both, we, we will both listeners, one of which is below the age of four. I don't know. Sorry. I feel like we're in another golden age of television right now because Hollywood's got to the point where every movie's got to be a blockbuster swinging for the fences. It, you know, after a while, I just can't stand it anymore. So I go to turn on my TV and see some intelligent, thoughtful entertainment, and I'm getting it in spades, you know? What are you watching? Yeah, what are you watching? Oh, well, you know, Breaking Bad for, for sure. Uh, the Newsroom, Aaron Sorkin. Got, oh, oh, what a great show that is. Hook me from the pilot, man. Hook me from the pilot, which they then proceeded to give away. A very intelligent move because I think it's brought them a lot of fans. And I'm just waiting for the second season to start. I, I, I admit it, I'm an Aaron Sorkin junkie. You know, I mean, there was a time when that man made me believe that it was possible to find a reasonably large number of Republicans and Democrats who, though they might disagree with each other on certain points, were all nevertheless willing to put that down and work together. <laughs> and I bought that week after week. I don't think you could run the West Wing that today. Is a when I, about a single age. I think if you tried to run the West Wing today, people would just laugh it right off the screen. But we could still, briefly, for a, month, for a time, we could still accept the idea there could be a cable news guy who, who developed a conscience. You know, you know what I like best about the newsroom, in that that opening pilot episode. Yeah, they set up this incredible situation, and it never paid off till the last five minutes of the end of the first season. Yeah, and that Absolutely. that they were able to carry that through and just gently remind you in virtually every episode that. We're going to deal with this at some point. Just stay tuned. And it was just Sorkin is, is a, an incredible storyteller, and he's he? yeah, he's as good as it gets. I've 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 like paid money to get copies of his scripts for The West Wing. Now, it used to was a time when if you walked down the streets of New York, guys would offer to sell you bootleg copies of scripts. And when I discovered that some Aaron Sorkins were available, I bought a boatload. And man, they're just such a pleasure to read, you know. Uh, you know, one of our biggest fans of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I I've got to ask on his behalf: Did you ever watch The Wire? <laughs> I had, I have been through The Wire now five times. I'm about to start on my sixth. <laughs> I'm serious. We are just about to end the second season ourselves here, uh, becoming I'm big, big fans. Man. This is what, in fact, this was what was on my mind earlier when I spoke of how you know the Brits seem to have more range than we do. As I was stunned while watching The Wire to discover that, like, Stringer Bell is British. Portion of the cast are British. That's Apple, right. Irish, you know. Well, even right now uh, on um, Sons of Anarchy, yes, uh, Jackson yes. is British. Jackson is British. Couldn't well, believe that. McNulty. You know, and Mayor Carcetti and and uh, and, and Stringer Bell. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. 
You, know? you would never know. You just made one of our fans very, very happy for saying this. Yeah, I can hear the screaming from here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think better television has ever existed. Well, I think what it is, it's a fucking novel, you know, that took five years to write. Oh, good way to put it. Yeah. But it's a novel that was written by, like, you know, George Pelicanos and Richard Price and David Simon. And, you know, I mean, man, did he have writing. And did he have acting? Oh, dear Jesus. Every time I, I, I go through the series, I catch things I missed you know, all previous times. The subtleties and things where, as you say, you know, in episode two, they'll plan something that won't pay off until season four, episode eight, you know? Yeah. You know, Spider, uh, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't ask at this point, uh, are you writing anything right now? I am writing very slowly the first of three sequels to Variable Star. My nice. unbelievable age in a time, really? in a time when nobody seems to be able to. I got friends who have you know completed novels that no one seems to want because the publishing industry is in such grotesque retreat. My agent managed to sell me a trilogy, and uh, unfortunately, I had just signed the contract when Jeannie was diagnosed, and. In a, you know, in a brave effort to show that we weren't going to let a little thing like a cancer diagnosis throw us, I did make a start on the novel, and I got a chapter or two in. And then, let me tell you, when your wife is dying of cancer, you ain't writing. I don't care. You know, it, That ain't going to happen. And then after she was gone, I picked it up and looked at it and put it back down again and kept doing that for the longest time. And then just as I got seriously into it and thought, all right, I can do this. Let's go. My daughter was diagnosed, and uh, it took the wind out of my sails again. So I'm slowly climbing back up there. I've never taken this long to write a book in my life. But what there is seems to read well, you know, uh, and I got plenty of ideas that are not enough to get me through the book. It's just it's going to be a question of finding the time to put the word in a row. Like, it, 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 it don't happen when you're being grandpa. You know, forget it. <laughs> I'm on grandpa duty while I'm here, and that's what I signed on for. And I think like two days since I arrived, I actually got a couple hours free and did a little writing, and it wasn't bad at all. Felt good, you know, using unused muscles and shit. But I mean, my I can't tell you how how kind and considerate my publishers have been. I I, I haven't heard a peep out of my editor. I've been dreading the phone call for the longest time. You know, it's been quite a while since you signed that contract, Spider, and. No, nothing. The man, he happens to be an old friend, and he himself knows a little something about pain. He's been down some hard roads himself. And his bosses are human beings who are, you know, willing to, willing to back him and back his judgment that if we all just wait quietly, Spider's going to come out with a, with a novel one of these days that'll blow our doors off. And I hope that this is true. I really do. A novel about sci-fi podcasters. <laughs> yeah, what a wonderful idea! I, it's you know what? I second right? that motion. It is. If you like, I can explain to you what the heart of my problem has been. The heart of my problem has been for thirty-five years. Jeannie, God bless her, enabled me to stay up all night long, and that's when I wrote from like between say eleven at night and any time between five a.m. and nine a.m. I would just sit out there in my office and stare into space and listen to music and put my feet up and scratch my head. And after a while, I'd start typing. And somehow this produced a book a year for 35 years, uh, partly because of Jeannie's inspiration, of course. I knew that if I, if I came into the house with pay copy and left it on the table for her to read over breakfast, uh, we were going to have a date night that night. 
Now that that motivation is gone, I, I can get a date with me anytime. I'm a push. If she brought to me at all, and because Jeannie isn't there anymore, it's just impossible to stay up all night. It can't be done. You got to go shopping in the daytime. You got to gas up the car in the daytime. You got to go see the doctor. You know, there's nobody to run the, run the household during the day while I'm sacked out so that I have the glorious luxury of spending all night with no distractions, nothing on TV, nobody calls me on the phone, you know, any damn thing on the television. Uh, uh, all I had to do was write, plus all around me, everyone with, uh, within a mile of me was all sleeping and dreaming. And so dreams were racing past me. I could vampirically tap into, you know, sort of tell. Spider, I, I actually, I can really identify with that. I've been up all night lately working, and it, it I actually, I get a lot done. It's peaceful. Yeah, yeah. I think I first noticed it back in college, you know, when the paper was due the next day and I hadn't started it yet, that kind of yeah. thing. Yep. <laughs> I know that one very yep. well. You know, when the night is all yours, if you feel like you could do anything. It gives you the confidence to, to believe you really are God. You could create a universe and it would run, you know, because right. ain't nothing else happening. And no, no, nobody smarter than you is in your presence you know, exhibiting superior intelligence, so you feel like the smartest thing around. And I just wish I could figure out a way to get that back, but it ain't going to happen. I'm, it's going to have to go the other way. I'm going to have to learn how to write with, with, with a light out in the sky, you know? And it's weirding me out. Uh, you know, closing the blinds doesn't help. No, it doesn't. It's, you need, like, blackout curtains. Even then, you can, you can just feel through the soles of your feet somehow the world being in action out there. They're all moving and humming, and there's cars going by, and there's people... Mm -hmm. And the radio's playing, and, and even if you don't hear it, somehow a vibe reaches you. You know it's daytime, and it just ain't the same. I can't explain it, but I'll, I'll crack it sooner or later. I know I will because I have to, because if I'm not a writer, I don't know what the hell else I am. I mean, it would be very embarrassing to go out looking for my very first job at the age of 64 with no previous <laughs> you know, Would you hire a guy that's been his own boss for the last 35 years? Well, do you have any uh, references? None, except my own. I can write you a terrific set of references for myself. I've written grant applications many times. But I truly don't know what I would do. See, when I started in this business, I, I had it all lined out. I said to myself, well, if this writing thing ever doesn't make it, I can, I can always fall back on music. Hmm. Uh, uh, not going to happen. Music was and your fallback. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> of course, if I really absolutely have to bite the bullet and it's, it's necessary to put on a white shirt and a necktie, there's always journalism. Bam. Oh, no. Nope. No, 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 no. Over Not anymore. Over three. What journalism? You know, it's all unpaid bloggers. Yeah, it sure the hell is. <laughs> The New York Times keeps infuriatingly sending me unwanted emails with the headlines of the day, but if I if I click on any of those links, I immediately get browbeaten with the exhortations to buy an expensive subscription to read that article. And, yep. Why would you do that? And there's there's one place within you know 20 miles of me where I can go and buy a newspaper. It's printed on paper. And Why I, would you and want I, that? 
Well, you know, I kind of got a fondness for it. I just, you know, same same reason I like holding books in my hands. Even though I'm a Kindle fan, I still something about having and smelling a book and spreading the pages and cleaning your fingernails on the corners of the pages. You know. Here, here. I do not get Plus, it. they have comics. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I was very slow to enter the Kindle universe. I was a reluctant convert. I was almost John Varley esque. And my resistance to the new te technology. I love to break Herb's balls because you know, he's always the last adopter and then ends up having a terrific time and can't understand why he didn't do this years ago. But uh, I, I, I ended up pushing him into getting a Kindle just to just, just see if I could turn him on to it. But what got me sold was when I got it through my head, I've only got like five, six titles out in, in, in ebook form. And it's all through the genius of my agent. She, I was busy taking care of my dying wife. I wasn't even thinking about it. She got back the rights to five or six of the books, issued them as e-books. And I, I suppose she probably told me about it, but I wasn't paying attention. Until Jeannie had been gone for a while, and I'd been doing the bills myself for a while, and I began to notice that those six e-book titles, they're presently bringing me in as much money every month as all 35 of my books and paper in here. Well, yeah. And I, what, where has this been all my life? There can be nothing wrong with a technology that is this lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm digging it. You know, I, 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 got, I got a Kindle pack full of stuff. And I'm having the time of my life. And I'm just trying, you know, hoping I can get some more titles reverted so I can get them out there in ebook form without having to give 50% of the money to somebody who did absolutely nothing to earn it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, write new ones that'll it'll work that way. But I'm, I'm, I, I haven't looked, but I'm virtually certain that the contract I signed while Jeannie was ill, uh, get, like all of them, gives them rights to and any other technologies here and after to be devised. I believe is the, the lovely phrase they use. Fantastic. Using that for a long time now. So I, you know, in other words, I think I got to get this trilogy out of the way before I can write straight for ebook. Which that that's I'd love to do that. Friends of mine who are just getting into the business. I have a friend named Seymour Hamilton who's been a, a deserving of publication ever since I met him like 30, 30, 35 years ago, and he just finally broke into print. Basically, by finding uh, you know a publisher who was willing to put it out in ebook form uh, and and get behind him, and now it's it's selling like hotcakes, and he's got a short story collection out, and he's launched. You know. This this process would have taken years back in my day. He would have had to sell sell a few stories to Analog and Asimov's and Fantastic and you know and FNSF, and then he'd have to go to a lot of conventions, and then he'd have to win some awards, and then find an agent. He just he just went out there and did it, you know. And it's, it's more people are doing it left and right. It's starting to happen. You know, the the means of production have passed into the hands of the people. All power to the people. Where, for instance, here's one thing I love. Uh, you go to see Crosby, Stills, and Nash now, uh, or Crosby and Nash, as you're way out of the concert after three hours of the most amazing music you've ever heard, as you reach the lobby, they're offering to sell you on a thumb drive the concert you just heard. <laughs> oh, and you know... Or they can put it on a thumb drive before you can get your ass from your seat to the lobby. You know, and hypothetically, if I was someone who happened to collect bootlegs of shows he's been to, <laughs> that is a blessing. It's wonderful. And the, here's the beauty of it. If you buy the Crosby Nash t-shirt or the Crosby Stills and Nash program book or the, any of them souvenirs, 
they, I don't know what percentage they get off the top, but it ain't anywhere near as big as half, you know. The concessionaire yeah. takes most of the money, just like Ticketmaster takes most of the ticket money. But the drives, every penny that brings in goes right into their pants because it's their machinery and their recording, and, you know, there ain't no overhead, and they <sighs> all the dough. All they need is a little corner of the lobby big enough for a man to stand there with a bag of thumb drives, passing them out and taking money. Wow. And we all only need so many $50 t-shirts. That's right. Yeah, especially. But if you were going to buy a $50 t-shirt, like Illustrator X has a website. <laughs> I think I own one of those $50 t-shirts. Mm. Sucker born every minute? Or? $3 tops went to the artists, you know? There you go. And the rest went to some fat man in a suit. I, I got a friend, Amos Garrett, probably one of the greatest guitarists alive. Uh, he played the lead guitar on all four of the tracks of my one and only CD. And he also played a solo on Maria Moldor's hit Midnight on the Oasis. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stevie Wonder called the greatest instrumental break in the history of rock and roll. Amos Oof. told us once he was at a music industry convention. They have their cons, too, just like we do. And he went to a panel, just like we do at ours. His, the one he wanted to go to was a panel of producers. The guys who make the big bucks and wear the good suits, because he was kind of curious to know how come we're both in the same occupation, but they're driving Porsches and I'm driving a beat up old Chevy pickup truck, you know? That's right. So he went to the panel and he's listening with great interest to what everybody has to say. And finally, someone from the audience, you know, come time for audience questions. And someone asked the most venerable old dork up there, I don't know, Colonel, whatever, you know, sir, can you put in, 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 a, in, a, in a, as few words as possible? what one needs to do to become a great producer. And the guy said, yes, 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 no problem, no problem. Endeavor to place yourself between the talent and the money. <laughs> <laughs> he got up and left the room totally satisfied. Now he understood. It had all been made clear to him why they were driving the Porsches and he was driving the beat-up old pickup truckers. You know, it's so nice when you can cut those bastards out of the out of the loop just on that basis alone. You know, I come out of a Crosby Nash concert. I'm a I'm a friend of David's. If I wanted, I could get it free, but I put my money down. You know, I know uh, it's it's supposed to go. That's that's really cool. I like Dweezil that. Zappa. Are you listening to us? <laughs> do you hear yeah. what he's saying, Dweezil? Do it, do it. You know, just for you got to lay out a, a few bucks for the gear to to burn thumb drives that in bulk that fast. But there ain't no reason in the world why you can't. You know, and the audience just heard the music; they know it's great. Plus, it's you know it's a souvenir, and they can tell all their friends, "Hey, you hear that asshole in the back yelling? Do more!" You know, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> So so Spider, um just to go back one second to your ebooks, where where are the ebooks that you offer available? Oh, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm I'm clueless. I honestly I I, uh, I I wouldn't know. I guess I I my, my I hate to say this, but I I'd, I'd go to Amazon and poke around. Um, I'm doing that I, right now. <laughs> I'm not even clear on which titles are available. Well, right, yeah, that's the thing is I'm not sure, like, Amazon doesn't tell you whether it's put out by you or by somebody else. Gotcha. Well, no, if they're, they're, they're being sold through Amazon. It's just that they're not being sold through Amazon by, you know, Ace Books or Putnam or, you know, Tor or, or Bain or any of the outfits I've, I've published for in paper. Oh, just, the, just Kindle? I wish you had just, EPUB versions. 
I, maybe I do. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll try and get that information, and if I do, I'll put it on the website, which is where it really ought to be in the first place. My impression was that it's in several different formats. Oh, uh, well, okay. Maybe maybe we're not finding the right version then, because I'm I pretty sure Amazon Amazon will only do the Kindle format for you. Yeah, it looks like the entire Callahan series. Well, I, I mean, it's on there, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's on there from Spider. Right, yeah. exactly. And, and but the thing is, I I can't really tell you because of what I got is a Kindle, so I don't I, I don't hang out in the places where they sell the other formats, you know. Hmm. So uh, I, I I don't know what's there, or I wouldn't even know where to go to get them because I that, I put my money down on the on the Kindle. Actually, I didn't even. What happened? Uh, Jim Spasto, the guy who wrote the screenplay for the Stardance movie, which is, as we speak, circulating around Hollywood, there's still a chance it could get made someday. Jim and David Gerald collaborated on a screenplay for Stardance that Jeannie got a chance to read about 80% of before she had to leave the party. And she pronounced herself totally satisfied with what she read. I've read the rest, but admittedly, my mind was clouded at the time. I thought it was damn fine. And they're, you know, they're, they're going through the, the same development hell that everybody goes through who doesn't have a big star or a big director attached to their project. But uh, where did I start this? Uh, oh, it was, I was on the phone with Jim Spasto. And I was telling him about this funny thing that happened. I've been talking with John Varley about the Kindle and how I've been thinking about maybe getting into it because I've seen, I've seen some advantages and some of the disadvantages that I thought it had it didn't. It's not backlit. It's not, you know, you're not staring into a headlight. And Herb would raise objections and I'd shoot them down one after another. And finally, I'd shot down all of his objections. And he said, well, I, you know, I suppose if I ever get so far enough ahead of the game, I, you know, I got, got a, a hundred or two bucks to throw away on a toy. Maybe I'll try it someday. And after we hung up the phone, I suddenly got a brain flash and I went and Wikipedia'd it up, and sure enough, her birthday was coming up a week later. <laughs> so I couldn't resist. For his birthday, I sent him a kid. So I'm on the phone with Jim Spasto telling him this funny story about how, you know, Herb, who wrote Press Enter, you know, <laughs> you know, who wrote me into his story, the unprocessed word is one of those crazy wild-eye proselytizers for computers that we would write on, for God's sake. Uh, I just couldn't resist telling Jim that I'd, I'd sent her a Kindle for his birthday. Jim said, uh, I just sent you one. <laughs> <laughs> nice man. Nice man. If you have this footage of Genie and Zero Gravity that's on YouTube, uh, and if you haven't, you know, just Google up Genie Robinson Zero Gravity, uh, all the footage was shot by Jim, by Jim Spasto, who paid his own dime to go. On a Kindle. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely expensive Sony movie camera. I, Genie was able to get with the help of a of a, of a grant and donations. But uh, ju just an unbelievable camera. And and the 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 seats cost many thousands of dollars on GeForce One. If you want to go up and try Zero G for yourself, you, you can do it. Cost money. But Peter Diamandis, who owns the company, same man who created the X Prize. God bless Peter Diamandis. One of the smartest guys alive today heard Jeannie give a talk about the Stardance movie and how she thought the time had come and the technology was finally here to make it. And he stood up in the audience and donated two seats on GeForce One for her and the dancer to go up and check it out. Oh, awesome. He did. And Jim paid his own his own dime to come along and film the thing. So, he, so Spider, I want to get your feelings on this. How do you feel about the consolidation of all of our gadgets? It used to be that you had 
you know, your your tape recorder that recorded audio, you had your camcorder that records video, you had a camera for still images, and then you had, maybe you had a cell phone as well. And now that's all one thing. Yeah, and you don't need splicing trays, and you know, and, and tape to splice, tape, you know, tape together, and all all gotten so damn simple. I'm I'm using recording software for my podcast. The Beatles couldn't afford when they started, you know. Yeah, totally. It's, it's just awesome. I mean, I, I I still can't get over. It. I've still got my original Fat Mac. You know, I, <laughs> I I was one of the first guys in Canada to get a five twelve Mac. I wasn't in time for the one twenty eight. I was a little slow off the mark, but I got them to give me a, a a Fat Mac at half price in exchange for a celebrity quote. Uh, they wanted celebrity endorsements, and I agreed to provide a quote in exchange for half off the price of my Fat Mac. For some reason, they never used the slogan I gave them. I, I said their advertising line ought to be, Macintosh, it's not user-friendly. It's a user slut. <laughs> for some reason, this was not deemed appropriate for a, a national ad campaign. I don't understand why. It, wow. it's, it's a different age. Today, they might. You know. In fact, maybe I should keep my mouth shut. That'll be Apple's next slogan, and I won't get a damn dime. Hmm. Now, everything's getting better, and it's showing. You know, the art's getting better. The books are getting better. The TV's getting better. Even, God help us, the movies are slowly getting better, you know? Well, everything's getting better. It's just happening at the speed of evolution. And you yeah. know how long that takes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it's the same speed everything takes. and never, Nothing's ever fast enough, you know? No. That's all right. It keeps a little suspense in life, you know? Drag the story out. I don't mind. That's why I like a series like Breaking Bad, you know, where it can take you an entire season to find out what the hell is that weird shit floating in the pool? And what's that got to do with anything? You know? Maybe. I kind of like it. So I just, as we sat here, received a communication. This just in. I got a press release, actually. I, I, I got a press release. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That that's great. That's an awesome little sound effect. What does that mean? Is that supposed Good to evening, be- Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Yeah. Go okay, ahead. okay. It was we we got a, we got a we got a press release from I don't know. I don't even know what network this is from. Oh, Cinemax. Cinemax because their new drama series Hunted is premiering tomorrow. It's by the X Files writer and producer Frank. Oh, Chris Carter. Frank Spotnitz. Oh. And it's a mini series, and there's some international espionage. I, I'm assuming there's probably something vaguely sci-fi about this, but I'm not seeing it in the oh. press release. <laughs> so, Damn. so we we have a press release that the guy who is not Chris Carter from the X Files. Maybe, maybe it was just a- the X Files connection. That's why they sent this to us, but. Yeah, hmm. and then it's like is debuting something on a a station that was known for softcore porn in the eighties. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. No, that's okay. Actually... Do you insist? What's, what's <laughs> wrong with softcore porn in the eighties? I I mean, like other than being the eighties, but hey, hey, oh, hey, hey. Oh, oh, here we go again. Oh. Here we go again. By the way, there's another another fallback place uh, that I that I thought I had, you know. What if writing doesn't work? Well, I'll try music. Well, I'll try journalism. If that didn't work, my bottom line was you can always write porn. You could. Oh, oh actually, whoa, whoa, whoa. You Speaking can. of breaking news, I just got a message from Jan Schroeder, who's listening into us Second tonight. Second press release. 
Go ahead. Oh my goodness. Yes. Hi guys, I'm listening in and here's a great list of Spider's books directly from Bayon Books. And yeah. I'm going to just post that link in our little list here and we'll put that on the website. Well, what the, what? are those the ones that he did himself though? Like that? Oh. No, this is, these are published through Bayon Books. But I want to support Spider directly. How would I do that? X? You were uh, supposed Dan? to know that Dan? off the top of your head. Jeez. Dan? Get on Skype and tell us. <laughs> you know, you know, I might have Jan still on my Skype. Jan, if if you ping me on Skype, I will add you to the call, and and you can tell me exactly what to do. I, I'm also seeing deadright.com. Does that ring a bell? Uh, maybe deadright. Hmm. Deadright is a the name of a mystery bookstore in Vancouver, which in its other incarnation is White Dwarf, the science fiction bookstore. Oh, really? Uh, They've now become the, the same shop, owing to the ridiculous price of real estate in Vancouver. But I, it's both the best mystery bookstore and the best science fiction bookstore in British Columbia, as far as I'm concerned. That no, not, no place around to touch them. And if anybody's interested, if you want autographed books, uh, go, to, go, go to White Dwarf, which I believe you find online as Dead Right. Yep, it is, and, is Dead Right, D-E-A-D-W-R-I-T-E. I see exactly. what you did there. Dot com. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so it's Bayon eBooks. I what see. What happens is at least once a month, I find it necessary to leave my little island and motor over to uh, the mainland and visit Vancouver. And when I do, I always make a point of swinging by White Dwarf and signing whatever books have stacked up that people have asked for autographs on. And they have uh, mailing access to uh, on both sides of the border. In other words, the, there's none of this cross-border crap. You won't there won't be any customs nonsense. They can mail you Americans books from America. They mail Canadians books from Canada, and it all works out. And they, I, I, as far as I know, there's no extra charge for the autographs. Now, I hate. I, maybe I should have. Maybe I should check with them and find out whether that's still policy. But that's the way. That's the way. That's the way it was last I heard. It's just. Like an autograph, no problem. All right, all right. I'm seeing, I'm seeing these ebooks here on Bain, and I would like to compliment you on, on these ebooks. I can see quite a few of them here, and oh, they're what? very reasonably priced. I think the pricing of a lot of ebooks is just completely out of control. Drives me nuts when they charge more for the ebook than they do for the hardcover. I know, right? I was looking. I was in Barnes and Noble the other day, and I saw a book that I kind of wanted to check out. But I, I've been trying to limit the paper that comes into my life because I have too much of it, and it wasn't going to be a sentimental purchase. This was just going to be like a read it once and toss it deal. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pick this book up. But I'll take a picture of it, and later I'll remember to look up the ebook. So I look up the ebook. The only place I can find it is basically Amazon or Google. I don't like the way Google does their ebooks. And looking on Amazon, they it, it will be happy to sell me the Kindle version, which you know still works on my iPad. But you know, it's not preferred for for twelve ninety nine. And then I, I look at this book. It's a book from two thousand six, right? The the paperback copy of the book is selling for two fifty. Yeah. Okay, so this this book that costs you probably six dollars to produce, you sell can't you can't sell it for higher than two fifty. But the electronic copy that literally costs you a fraction of a cent, you're gonna charge me twelve ninety nine for. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I would like to compliment you on having a reasonably priced selection of ebooks. 
I got lucky. I got lucky. I, mean, I dealt with an honorable house. You know, I've never had any problems with Bain books all the time I've dealt with them. They've been wonderful to work with. You know, I, I also have to give kudos to Tor. Uh, I don't know how their pricing is, but they... Absolutely. Sorry? Absolutely. Tor has been unbelievably kind to me over the years and supportive. I owe them a lot. And, and they they actually took a stand the other day and, and made... <laughs> made all of their their books DRM free for their ebooks. Yeah. So DRM free, you can read them on anything, anytime, anywhere. You're all good. Sensible. It, it sensible. is sensible, and you know that means they probably lost some contracts with Amazon. But I feel like they're definitely going to make more money in the long run, don't you? Yes. But see, here's what's driving me crazy. You know, the the the, the latest Jack Reacher novel. I just looked looked to see confirm my memory. Uh, the hardcover of the novel goes for eighteen dollars and forty-eight cents. Uh, the Kindle goes for well sixteen bucks, two whole dollars cheaper. Oops, sorry. Seven fifty. Yeah. Eighteen for hardcover, seventeen fifty. How's the difference? You know. The, yeah, I mean it, it's literally crazy. Uh, hey, Jan. Hello. Hi, Jan. It's yeah. Kriana from Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We've got an echo, but I'm glad to hear from you. <laughs> we do just a little. It's it's nice to hear from you again too. <clears throat> Thanks for sending that list. Yeah, lovely. Well, geez, if I get started thanking you for things, Jan, we'll be here all night. I think we have a little bit of a delay. <laughs> Thanks, Spider. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> right back at you. Hey, Jen, this is Dome from Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, eBay auctions and what's on there and what's coming up? Okay, what I've got up so far right now is some jewelry, a pink tribble, a rare Babylon 5 comic book. Um, oh. Oh. Uh, trying to think I just drew a complete blank there's only about eight things up right now but people can actually uh, email you to donate items for your auction correct absolutely I'd be happy to hear from anybody oh my god Doctor Who sticky notes I want that <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and there's another really cool thing. One of the items that's donated is the set of runes. Oh, that looks cool. What's that? What's that all about? Just, just like, cool. It's hand carved from mastodon tusks that are ancient. Jesus, what? What? Yeah, that's awesome. And they the usually run for about two hundred dollars. Wait, oh. maybe make sure I understood that. The runes are carved from mastodon tusks? Right. There's pieces of mastodon tusk with the runes carved directly into them. Wow. And if I win the auction, my money goes to help Terry. Yes, absolutely. Oh. We, have, we have documentation that these were originally owned by Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> hey, you know, I just had a wonderful, wonderful thought. I wonder if we could 
Zombrarian, do you think we could knit a couple of teeny tiny things and send them on for donation? Why not? We, we like knitting teeny tiny cute things. I think that would be entirely possible. I, I've, Sounds adorable. I've knit, I've knit a series of teeny tiny pumpkins already this month. Wow. Absolutely. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I've got some handmade items on their, uh, some bookmarks. Oh, those are cool. Yeah. I should That were hand-loomed. I should perhaps, by the way, toss in one quick mention. Um, we've mentioned that Terry's blog is called Graceful Woman Warrior. And I've actually had one or two people say, well, calling yourself a graceful woman warrior, I mean, isn't that a little egotistical? The name was given to her in the womb by her mother. <laughs> Do, does Terry have, like, an animal that she likes or something like that? Mm, I hesitate to answer. I, <laughs> you know, whatever I say, she's liable to get five of them in the mail. The, well, yeah, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we'll, we'll knit a series of them and then... Getting real animals. Yes, real animals with knitted animal cozies. And then cool. <laughs> we'll send them right over. Well, see what happened. Jeannie named her at birth Luana. Uh, she had met a woman named Luana Mountainborn who tremendously impressed her. A uh, woman she met while she was hitchhiking around the country for the first or second time. And uh, Luana Mountainborn just impressed the hell out of her. She wore a Bowie knife, and she didn't take shit from nobody. And she made up her mind she would name her daughter that. And our daughter patiently put up with the name Luana Mountainborn until she was, I guess, about 11 or 12 years old. And that time she came to us and told us very firmly that she wanted to change her name. So we said, why? She said, well, I looked it up in a name book, and it means Graceful Woman Warrior. No, we didn't do that. That's a great name. She said, that's a horrible name. That's a stupid name. And I'm not going to be known as a graceful woman. Marker. I want to change my name. Well, you're called Spider. And you want to pronounce that she wants to change her name. You really haven't got a leg to stand on. You know what I'm saying? We had no part position at all. So we negotiated the best we could. We, I think we rejected uh, Tiffany. And, uh, Ashley, we settled on Terry, and we so, even she could spell it with an I at the end instead of the Y that God clearly intended. <laughs> hey, um, hey, Jan, I, I if you have the Ustream on in the background, I think that's the echo that you're hearing. Ah, uh, okay, hold on. Okay, Spider, I take it this conversation happened in the 80s. It was weird times, weird times. So <laughs> we, we, we got an, an undertaking from her in return. We made her sign an oath that she would never, ever dot the I with a heart or a flower or a smiley face or a sun or a, any calligraphic, just a goddamn dot. <laughs> so we, we made the best deal we could under the circumstances. And then just about the time that... Uh, she discovered that she had breast cancer. Suddenly, the name Graceful Woman Warrior started looking good to her again. <laughs> I've just been goodbye to her mommy here before. I think maybe as a, if, if more than anything else, as a gesture of respect to her mother, she, she picked that name for her blog site. See, part of the fun part is that after she went through her life as Terry, uh, she married a Brazilian. 
And, and where Haron comes from, they, they don't got no Terry's, but they got lots of Luanas, so that's what he calls them. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's just wonderful. They're a terrific couple, man. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pleased with my son-in-law. I, 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 he impresses me tremendously in, in all respects. <laughs> oh man, you know, I, I, I thought I was hot shit because I, I, I left my country and moved to another land. Yeah, I moved to another land right next door where they speak the same damn language and they watch the same damn TV programs. And <laughs> it's a little you know? colder, I suppose. No, Heron, one day he got on a plane and, and went from Brazil to New York and arrived without a word of English, you know? Uh, Before he learned Spanish. Because and if you're in New York and you're broke, it's a lot more useful to know Spanish. And now his English is as good as mine, you know? And, and he's fluent in Spanish. And he's uh, he's an electrical engineer with a, with a degree. He's working for Honda. You know, he, if ever a man pulled himself up by his bootstraps, he did. Bootstraps. No did, did Boots actually used to have straps? Yeah. Oh, you child. <laughs> Could you actually pull someone up by their bootstraps? Did that work? I thought it was a polite euphemism for he pulled himself up by his jockstrap. <laughs> <laughs> and if you believe that, you can talk to some of our ancestors about some swampland in Florida, too. <laughs> yeah, source of my wealth. <laughs> oh, I just got a letter from a dear friend who he and his wife decided a vacation in the Florida Keys and they wrote me from Key West and said don't ever come back you'll be sorry wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute like on paper oh really that seems no they, chip they chipped it on slate like in the Flintstones <laughs> maybe I don't know they're using paper <laughs> Ten, most likely. Wow. And putting a real life stamp on it. What? Nobody does that. Stamps. <laughs> That's why the postal service is going out of business. Yeah. Well, that you know, supplies of ammunition are running low, so recruit. <laughs> <laughs> Letter writing. Well, they can't go out of business yet until Harlan gets his way and has the American author's stamp series he's been uh, venting about for a few years. Uh-oh. <laughs> Why not? Remember? They could do worse. Oh, absolutely. But I remember when he was on, he was like he wanted L. Frank Baum stamps and he wanted a Fritz Leiber stamp and so forth. And absolutely. I got to tell you, I wouldn't want uh, Harlan at, mad at me for any reason. <laughs> you know, at the same time, is that really the best way to sell a lot of stamps? Really? Buy some stamps, or Harlan Ellison will well, show up at Well, that's a really good way door. to sell some that's stamps. That's the way to do it. <laughs> that, that's how you got to pitch it. Off Harlan. Like, no. just, to give, just to give you an idea of what a softy Harlan is, though, Harlan donated dinner with himself and his wife when yes. I was doing the auctions for Spider and Genie. Yes, yes. Well, we, we, we kid, we kid. We, we've actually talked with Harlan, and he's he's only a little bit scary. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, the only reason you need fear Harlan is if you're a major asshole, and major assholes usually don't know it. <laughs> so if you're feeling nervous, you got nothing to worry about. I don't know. I'm fairly sarcastic. <laughs> that doesn't count. Oh, okay. Harlan consider sarcasm sign of a major asshole, clearly. <laughs> 
He's just amazing. He's a force of nature, that man. Yeah, that he is. He's been he very to me over the years, and he was very, as I say, he was very generous with, with uh, giving aid to Jeannie. He liked Jeannie, too. Everybody did, man. I got I got a folder with 6,000 emails in it that have come in about Jeannie since she left. Uh, well, were, you, you know, know how Dome closes the show, right? Every single night? Every single every single show, we close it the same way. Yeah, uh, we do. We close it by saying, Jeannie, shared pain is lessened. Shared joy is increased, thus do we all refute entropy. And we've closed the show that way since the first night you were on. Yep. I, I could not be more deeply honored. Thank you. I think it's been probably over a hundred shows that have been closed like that. Yeah. Dear God, I have much to answer for in the next life. <laughs> <laughs> kept so many people from honest work for so long. <laughs> But dis dishonest work is so much more fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's been my impression. I always like that Robert Heinlein line about real writing is not necessarily something to be ashamed of. But do it in private and wash your hands afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great note on which to end this two hours that we've sat here and talked. Oh my God, it's been two hours. Well, we've been talking for the past two hours. With Spider Robinson about life, the universe, and everything. You, you know that about, was Douglas Adams, right? Yes, I do know okay, that. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Sometimes you get you know, flustered and then you forget who you're talking to. Was that really no, a I question? No, no, no. I know exactly who I'm talking to. I'm talking to one of the creative geniuses who molded my life, who made me enjoy the written word and who inspired generation after generation of science fiction writers and readers. That sound you hear is me blushing. Oh, well, cool. <laughs> turn the volume way up, you'll catch it. Hell yeah. No. Start feeling like this, friends. And, and Spider, if we're here next year, you're welcome back for our fourth anniversary show. Works for me. Or, you know, and whenever you'd like. Or next week, whichever you'd yeah, prefer. Yeah, you know. Just come and <laughs> hang out with us. It's all fun. All right, well, I'll get to some hanging out once I get some work done. That's been my problem. You know, I we do have this thing that we do sometimes called Fiction Friday. Yeah. We do. Absolutely. The thing yeah. is, it, it, it's it's what they call the hour shortage, you know? Uh, it, it, what... Jeannie, I, I used to tell everybody that Jeannie did the work of three people, and I thought I was complimenting her. I was way underestimating her. <laughs> because now that I'm trying to replace her input, now I got a sense of just how much work she did and how hard it is and how many hours it takes. I don't understand it. She seemed to do it with about 10% of her attention you know, while maintaining full-time careers as a dancer and as a Zen person and as a filmmaker. You know, I, where she got the, the just the sheer time, I do not know. I do not know. I'm lucky if I can pull an hour or two out of my my easiest day to sit and stare at the blank piece of paper until beads of blood form on my forehead. Oh. For people like Jeannie, it was pretty much the more she had to have happen, the yeah. more she actually accomplished. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, you know, she 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 went where she was needed. You know, she had a gift for figuring out where that was. 
Like if, if I had to distill those 6,000 emails I got down to a single email, you know, a typical uh, composite, it would be something like, Hi, Mr. Robinson, you won't remember me. Uh, you signed an autograph for me 14 years ago in East Weewall, Wisconsin. Uh, but that's not why I'm writing to you. What I'm writing to you is to tell you I was on the autograph line way near the back to get my book signed, and your wife looked up from the autograph table, and her eyes just brushed across mine, and she leaped up from the table, and she ran across the room, knocking people aside to get to me, and took me by the shoulders and said, what's wrong? For the love of God, sit down here and tell me about it. And she got my pain out of me, and she bled me dry, and then she brought me back up there and got my book signed, special by you, brought me up to the front of the line. And I just want you to know, you know, I, I, I like your books and all that, but man, I'll never forget your wife as long as I live. <laughs> it's absolutely 100% true. She did it to me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I was saying earlier that the two of you just, you know, I could see the lightning bolts flash between your eyes, and I knew that was that was going to be a real caress, you know. It was a great convention, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that as well. <laughs> See, so I, we should add that, I suppose, as a postscript to my earlier remarks about the advantages of attending conventions by Skype. Is It's harder to make those direct personal connections, you know? Yeah, I suppose it is. I suppose it is. That's true. Mm. You need to come back down to Florida, Spider. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Tell me about it. I, yeah. Although, as I was just saying a minute ago, friends of mine have warned me not to come back to Key West. They told me it's all yuppied up and it wouldn't be no fun. That the whole rock is full of people who can't get nobody to mow their lawns because nobody who mows lawns for a living can afford to live any closer than like four keys away from Key West now. Mm, <laughs> Serves them right. Moved <laughs> <laughs> in, took over, priced everybody out of the market, and then let them, let them mow their own freaking lawns. Pretty much. That's the way that one works, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Let them do their own fracking cooking. <laughs> and on that note. And on that note, it's been two hours of incredible fun. James Schroeder, Spider Robinson. We've got you back anytime. We're going to put up links to wherever and whatever. And, and, and thank you, thank you, thank you. X, where are we going to be in the next couple of weeks? Oh, we're going to be all over the place here. Next week, con season's not over yet. Sue Soares shares the guest list for this year's Rhode Island Comic Con. And on November 3rd, Dresden Files author Jim Butcher Yay. will be here on Yay. his latest Ooh. release, Yay. Cold Days. Squeak. I know. <laughs> I'm really excited. I love those books. On November 10th, Help producer Ethan Kalk fund the Kickstarter project Star Trek Renegades. And will we be interviewing a few special guests from the Trek universe? I don't know. Will we? Might have the suspense tune in. is killing me. We'll have to find out. And on November 17th, crabby New England horror writer Rob Watts returns with his brand new novel, Crab Apples. Keep an eye out for the Sci-Fi Saturday Night cast at the Rhode Island Comic Con on Saturday, November 3rd. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, and of ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals and original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold of Folk, at Rob Watts, online, 
Rob.com. Oh, we Don't... didn't even say that we met. We saw Rob at. at... We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been an interesting long-form show tonight with our, our special guest for our third anniversary, Spider Robinson and Jan Schroeder. And we're just here kind of like uh, a deer in the headlight right now because <laughs> we don't want it to be over. And God damn it, it's over. <laughs> From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana and Grammar Girl Zombrarian. Thank you, ladies. Well, you know, it's over, but now we get to look forward to doing it next time. There you go. From the Four Color Vault of Comics, Illustrator X, the Dead Redhead. Well, the Dead Redhead has crawled back to the crypt already, I'm afraid, but uh, <laughs> speaking personally, Spider. I absolutely love your work, and I really hope we've uh, helped raise some money for Terry tonight. From Outpost Gallifrey, our gaming editor, Awake by Java. Yeah, he, called, he crawled back to the crypt a while ago, too. Mm-hmm. This is <laughs> Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. So thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.